I just made a little tropical there. A little Skype, yeah. Skype tropical, as they say. Skype goes to Vista Del, Vista Del Mar. Skype on a tire. Do you hear my prayer? <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said I should watch that film. Mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I thought this was going to be some sort of, you know... Um, midlife crisis comedy well it sort of is <laughs> it is it is but yeah. when things started the way they did and well okay so i gotta tell you and i did my due diligence to try and figure out some way that he had somehow figured this out and had somehow done this thing and there's no possible way other than just absolute intuition. But I told Sebastian, my partner, um, uh, Joe just made me rent this movie. And so we have to watch it after you're done with this episode because um, he's watching through Buffy. And um, so he said, OK. And we started the film. And I kid you not, within the first 10 seconds of the film, he said before her name was ever on the dog on screen, he said, is I can't remember if he said, is this a Kristen Wig movie? Or he said, is Kristen Wig in this? One of the two. And I paused the movie and looked at him like, You are a lying liar. You are playing with me right now. How did you know that? And he said, Have you ever seen any movies that Kristen Wig is in or that Kristen Wig does? This is how they all start. This is like the quintessential Kristen Wiig starting of a film. And I was like, all that's happening right now is music is playing and there's a kid pedaling a bicycle. What are you talking about? And he had no idea what film I had uh, pre or I had rented. I didn't tell him that at all. Um, when we start, when I clicked play, he didn't know what the movie was. When um, like as far as I know, I don't know that he's seen any previews of it anywhere because we don't watch television that has commercials. So he literally just knew it was a Kristen Wiig film somehow, and I'm still kind of creeped out by that. Um, but in any case, uh, I'm so glad that you made me watch uh, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar because it was something that I think everybody should see because it's just so unique. It's it, it it's. It is exactly how you described it uh, whenever I kind of first messaged you. And I don't even know if I want to say how you described it, because I think that that even could be a spoiler, Uh, because I almost want folks to have the sort of organic experience I had of it seems like it's one thing and then suddenly it's not that thing. And then suddenly it's something else entirely. That was part of the fun of it because in, again, in starting the film, I was like, wait, what is going on here? What is this just like a commercial? Is someone dreaming? What's going on? Yeah. Um, everybody go rent Barb and star, go to Vista Del Mar. Hey Barb. Hey star. Um, and also get a talking couch. Yeah, uh, and what what I would say that's not a spoiler is that uh, I feel like the marketing for this movie uh, did not, maybe does not uh, do it justice for how very weird and silly it is. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is, um, and I think that's a, a key thing to remember. This is not a, a a comedy that's written to be like, oh, look at this clever you know, wordplay sarcasm thing that's happening here. Like there, there's a lot of like very earnest, uh, just silly goofball stuff that's happening. Yes. And so if you, uh, if you appreciate certain kinds of movies where things are just like silly and ridiculous and, and that's, that's it. It doesn't need to be like, uh, a grounded realistic tale with comedy in it. Um, you know, that, this is perhaps just a, a delightful thing to watch. I, I only heard from one person who said they didn't like it. They, they, the comedy just totally missed them. And I was just, I was surprised. Uh, Cause it just seemed like such a, like such a, such a goofball thing. But I guess, yes. if you're, if you, I guess if you're not like tuned in for goofball, if you're expecting like um, something a little bit more uh, realistic, uh, then, then maybe th- this might not hit you the right way because this, mm-hmm. while, while being very, earnest in its uh ridiculousness and 
uh, its sort of feelings about, you know, the themes of friendship or whatever. Like, it, it is uh, still not, like, the real world. Uh, right. Yeah, in any yeah, way. yeah. You're not going to be living in the real world in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, though, that's, yeah, I guess, see... For me, that was the delightful thing of it. But some people, yeah, they do not like to walk into something and expect one thing and then get another. For me, that was part. I like I said, I went into it expecting one thing and then was delighted to see that it was something totally different. I was caught off guard, mm-hmm. but it was a good kind of caught off guard. That um, I think you know, it, it's in the same way that for the most part, spoilers don't really affect me. I think that 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 little bit of a of a trait fits in the same bubble as the trait of someone who can you know sort of find joy in a thing that is very goofy and um irreverent because it's that it's the whole idea that like you can suspend disbelief for the portion you know for the the portion of the movie that you're watching and even if you've i don't know even if i've heard a spoiler for me, it's still enjoyable to see how they end up getting there in the end. Um, there's also something to be said about people with anxiety um, using spoilers as a way to not feel uh, caught off guard. But I don't think that I use that um, as a sort of anxiety crutch. I really think that it's just like, if a spoiler happens to me, I don't get too bent out of shape about it because I find it fascinating to see how... Um, they just they you know choose to tell the story and this one just is it's so unique and fun and it's like there are a lot of genres of this film <laughs> including musical which is enjoyable mm-hmm. yeah and uh you know that's it's i think that's all we should probably say about it for now is just like it's ridiculous and if you're in the mood for something ridiculous uh i highly recommend you watch it and uh you know watch it with whoever you are uh you know stuck in your bubble with um mm-hmm. probably one other person maybe um and uh you know you have some you have some laughs but uh moving on from having laughs uh i need you to tell me what very serious oh, thing has happened oh, in the world that i should care about because i haven't really even looked at twitter uh very much at all uh i just sort of like opened it and posted i liked barb and star and then i like closed it again so I don't mm-hmm. really know what's happening. Are people mad about a thing that shipped or didn't ship? Are are things uh, spiraling wildly out of control with a product that hasn't been updated but should be updated? Uh, is there is there rumors on the horizon of a new form factor for a thing that kind of doesn't exist but people would like, but maybe it does exist, but maybe somebody else has different rumors about it, and maybe it will ship, but maybe that's an LCD screen that's for a different product, but it's actually maybe for this other product. Is there anything like that happening? You know, the funny thing is, Joe, even though, so you're completely out of the mix, and I'm not completely out of the mix, I think our level of of um, apathy about it is about the same. And so even though I have uh, paid attention to it for the sake of the job that I do, it is not as if I have cared so much about it's kind of hard to find, uh, you know, interest and uh, vigor about any announcement that's happening. Um, So I kind of have to think about it and look back on uh, what's been covered uh, over the past couple of weeks to recall what stories, excuse me, have happened. Of course, um, you've got Apple and Facebook uh, still kind of going at it. Um, Facebook says that, what did they say? Facebook says, we need to inflict pain um, on Apple for, I think, two fundamentally different uh, approaches to consumers and their privacy. And, uh, you know, Tim Cook, without ever naming uh, Facebook, often brings up Facebook and its privacy policies and uh, uses that as a way to kind of not only talk about the, you know, uh, need for better privacy 
protections, but also as a way to kind of say, you know, Facebook's not great. And um, Facebook, of course, and Mark Zuckerberg in particular is not fond of that. And um, he has said, you know, we need to inflict pain. We've got to find out a way to to get back at Apple for for saying these things. So that's something that's ongoing. But I think something fascinating that's been happening um, is you probably heard about the whole Epic Games saga, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 uh they wanted to have the things where people buy the imaginary stuff outside of the thing where they they could buy things in the other imaginary store, so that that way they could keep more of their real profit from the imaginary things. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, essentially, uh, Epic Games was not pleased with in-app purchases from Apple. Apple taking thirty percent, and so. Uh, they had released an app update that Apple did not pay close enough attention to that gave them the ability to uh, buy in-app purchases through different means other than the in-app purchase mechanisms that Apple has set forth. So that resulted in Epic Games being banned from the App Store, um, which led to this whole fight because they knew that that was going to happen. And they had this whole commercial and all this other stuff. And it had kind of, after a federal judge was like, Bro, you're being stupid to Epic Games, essentially. Um, She really was kind of like, I don't even know why we're wasting time here. This is ridiculous, and you know it. Like, we can all look at each other and know that that you're being ridiculous. Um, Anyway, after that happened, it kind of seemed like things were dying down. But, excuse me, there was a bill introduced in North Dakota... And this bill was going to be, um, you know, if it were passed, it would have forced app stores from Google and Apple and any other company that makes an app store to let uh, users use their own means of um, purchase mechanism. But also, on top of that, it would require smartphone makers to allow folks to sideload to their phones, meaning that you could provide alternative app stores or, you know, if you downloaded an app online, then you could install it onto your phone. Well, it turned out that that bill that was introduced in North Dakota Senate was actually created by an Epic Games lobbyist. No uh, way. <laughs> yeah, who passed on this. Yeah, of course, exactly. Uh, no, there's no way that was the case. Yes, uh, that was absolutely the case. The lobbyist uh, worked for Epic Games and passed on that um, law to the North Dakotan Senate. And they didn't end up passing it, but that was kind of the first uh, method that, that <laughs> Epic Games was trying to get through. And the second one was... In the EU, they've filed a an antitrust complaint against Apple. Um, and that is a bigger thing because Apple has already been hammered with some antitrust complaints in the EU. And uh, we've seen the EU make some decisions before that are pretty powerful decisions. I mean, the one that led to one of the best um, privacy uh, and and data protection laws that uh, you know later on California came along and did one in the United States, and so it is I think of concern to anybody in that space to be watching uh, the EU and seeing what moves through there. And what's happened so far is that um, I think the lead of the EU's antitrust body. Uh, just told Apple, now listen, now now listen here, you need to treat all apps fairly in the App Store, because if you don't, then we're going to have to go through with this. And, you know, we don't want to spend money on this investigation, and you don't want to spend money on defending against this investigation, and nobody wants to make, nobody wants to let this get ugly. So, you know, nice App Store you got there, be a shame if something happened to it kind of situation going on in the EU right now. Okay, so... In essence, nothing has happened. <laughs> nothing has happened yet, yes. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, of course, lots of rumors, but I don't know. I, I hesitate because um, one of the big rumors is still Apple Car. Um, uh. 
of course, Apple Car and Nissan are not a thing. And uh, Volkswagen says it's not afraid of an Apple electric car. Um, and there's also, um, oh, rumor that we may finally see air tags in March. Uh, <laughs> I, I continue to just laugh every time uh, air tags are mentioned as well because I don't, I don't know. Um, now, the, the latest thing I've seen is that there's not going to be a March event. There was originally supposed to be. Uh, or that there, there was originally a rumor that there was going to be a March event uh, to announce, I believe, a new iPad of some sort, and to announce a um, uh, the, the AirTags. But then I saw, I think Mark Gurman was saying that, no, there's no March event. So who even knows now? There's been such little news um, in the past, I would say, month, and it's you know, just sort of dragging the, the, what is it? Dragging, scraping the bottom? Oh, yeah, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Mm. Yes. This past month. The old apple barrel. Oh, I know a good story. Mm-hmm. A Worcester man. Um, for folks who don't know, Worcester is in Massachusetts. It's spelled like it's Worcester, uh, but it is not Worcester. It's Worcester. And um, this Worcester man did a thing that I do. Uh, so I've talked before about how I, um, to fall asleep, I will listen to audiobooks. And when I lived alone, uh, I don't know why that sounded vaguely Christopher Walken, but for some reason it did. Um, when I lived alone, no, when I lived alone, I would listen to my audiobook very quietly from an external speaker, you know, a Bluetooth speaker that I had next to my bed. And so the audiobook would kind of play and I'd kind of tune in a little bit and then tune out and then zone out and then fall asleep. Um, but when you live with a partner, you can't really listen to an audiobook out loud. So I will listen with an AirPod in my ear. Um, oh, no. But, <laughs> uh, this Worcester man, he was wearing his AirPods as he did every night to fall asleep. And he woke up one morning. And he realized that he was having trouble um, breathing. Uh, So let's say the day before. Oh, let's see. um, Bradford Gauthier, which, yes, that's a real name. Bradford Gauthier woke up Tuesday morning and noticed he had a little trouble swallowing. He attributed it to a dry or sore throat and carried on with his day. The day before, he had been shoveling snow for two hours after the nor'easter that hit Massachusetts earlier this this week, and he says he went to sleep that night worn out. I went back out in the morning and shoveled snow for an hour, and when I came in, I tried to drink a glass of water again and couldn't, said Gauthier. At this point, Gauthier also noticed that one of his AirPods was missing. The father of two says he sleeps with them almost every day to not disturb his sleeping six-month-old. His family began putting the clues together. By that point, my son and wife had gotten the idea that I may have swallowed it. They brought it up jokingly at first, but it seemed too coincidental that I would be missing it when I knew I went to bed with it, while I felt a distinct blockage in the center of my chest. After. After contemplating the idea for a few minutes, Gauthier went to the emergency room and much to the doctor's surprise, an x-ray showed his missing AirPod lodged in his esophagus. An emergency endoscopy removed the AirPod and Gauthier went home to catch up on his work, having never experienced more than some minor discomfort. Well, that had a happy ending. That's good. I was a little worried. Yeah, no, he's fine. Everything's mm-hmm. fine. What did, I find fascinating is that the, the AirPod. <laughs> yeah, it's, I wonder know if it still worked afterward. They didn't say. Gross. Um, <laughs> also, you have to be some sort of magician, I think, to be an X-ray reader because there's a red circle around this AirPod in the X-ray, and I can't see anything inside of this red circle. I don't know. I don't see an AirPod. I don't. I would have never guessed that there was an AirPod in the esophagus. Yeah, there's a little uh, shaded, round-ish part thing. I don't see it. Where do you see that? Uh, it's it's near the edge of the because uh, it's not actually a circle. It's sort of like an oval, oblong yeah. thing. It's right near the bottom part where it curves uh, to 
Oh. You see that? Yeah, okay. They just didn't yep. draw, draw a tight enough circle, but it, it is just that you see the dark shaded part that's near the red line, and then there's a yep. brighter part on the other side. Yeah, it's it's a, yeah, that's a, that's an AirPod. It's not a, <laughs> not an esophagus. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, waiter, there's an AirPod in my esophagus. <laughs> um, so that happened. Well, well, that's good that it's all taken care of. Uh, see, this wouldn't have happened if he had a, a, a studio pods max, or, um, whatever they're called. <laughs> yeah, if only he had been wearing AirPods Max. Mm-hmm. Those I don't think are. Com- see, I'm a side sleeper, or mm-hmm. else I would wear headphones um, to fall asleep with. But most of the time, what I do is uh, I just, like I said, I just wear one, and um, inevitably I end up waking up in the middle of the night for something, and then I put it. I put it back in the case before i fall back to sleep uh it's not ideal Mm, and i've been trying to not do that because it's just not because of worcester man and before that i i kind of realized that it was uh, potentially disrupting my sleep even when i set a sleep timer in the app and stuff it could be that some very intense moment happens and then sometimes my dreams are colored by the audiobooks and so it's just not ideal not perfectly ideal anyway yeah, uh-huh. I have a uh, I I have accidentally fallen asleep with uh, my my Beats X uh, on and it was where I was like, oh, well, surely I will know to take these off by the time I'm actually sleepy and instead just falling asleep and then waking up and having to take them off. Uh, the problem is not so much choking on those because there's a cord that goes from one uh earbud part to the other earbud part the problem is that you you may strangle yourself <laughs> if you roll over <laughs> the wrong way in the middle of the night so uh this is I don't recommend i don't recommend uh, any sort of headgear uh other than ones prescribed by a doctor or a dentist or orthodontist um so you know skip it uh if at all possible oh man orthodontic headgear mm-hmm I never had that because I had the Invisalign, um, but I was a little worried when they were telling me they needed to straighten stuff out that I was going to have to have the, you know, headgear retainer thing, but, but I didn't. That's good. You ever, you ever have a, any sort of teeth straightening situation? No, um, we did not have, uh, very good dental insurance. My family, my, you know, my, my parents didn't have very good dental insurance growing up. Uh, if any, at some points, and we were not at all financially capable of doing that. So all of us kids didn't have any uh, dental stuff, but I have uh, considered doing that myself now. Um, It's never been like an issue for me, but, and now that I use my voice for things, I couldn't do something other than Invisalign. And my concern with Invisalign is that can slightly change the way you speak um and so you kind of have to to relearn placement a hair a tad a bit um in order to to communicate at least in the way that i would want to so yeah there's a lot of um a lot of mental hurdles that would be involved in that for me so yeah no no headgear here but i've um it's it's odd that uh my current partner and a former partner both had like big headgear like outs you know thing you wear on your head that then wires to your teeth and does all this stuff because there was jaw work involved so it was past just in your teeth you also had they also had to realign the jaw Mm, wow yeah uh that's unfortunate but uh one thing i would say is uh from having the invisalign it it does change the way you speak Uh, it sounds like you have something in your mouth no matter what you do uh, it's not so much a relearning to what tongue placement or anything like you, you'll always just sound like you have something in your mouth. Uh, so what you do is you take it out of your mouth. If you know, you're going to be speaking, um, and then you pop it back in afterwards. Um, but oh. yeah. And cause, uh, that's how I did the podcast with, uh, with, with Dan. Um, whenever we would talk on defocused, uh, I would take my retainer out, uh, the, the Invisalign retainer out. Um, cause it, you can take it out for a short period of time, but then you got to pop it back in. The uh, problem with the 
Invisalign system is just that it takes forever because you're very slowly changing your teeth over time with a series of progressively different uh, plastic things that you pop over your teeth. So they can only kind of like move a little bit uh, every now and then instead of just like trying to, you know, move everything all at Mm -hmm. once. Um, So it, it took, I think, two and a half to two and three quarters years to the point where I was done with that. And then at night, I still have to wear the, uh, you're supposed to wear a, um, they give you a hardier retainer than the ones that you wear during the process uh, to, to wear at night as sort of a night guard ish sort of thing, but it's not a night guard uh, because they actually lock together uh, top and bottom. Um, And that was a problem for me because I clench. So the, uh, I had a top night guard made, which is smooth on the bottom so that the bottom can't lock the, uh, my bottom teeth can't lock into my top teeth and clench. Uh, they slide against it. So that was what I had to do in order to maintain stuff. But you know, it's just years and years and years of that process. And now it's just this nightly routine where you got to remember to pop that thing in. And the only reason why I did it is because everything was fine until the point where, uh, I chipped, uh, my, bottom tooth on my upper tooth because they were smacking into each other holy moly yeah so you gotta be careful as long as your dentist says you're not like smacking your teeth into your other teeth uh then you're probably fine um and also i think you happen to have a beautiful smile so uh, I, I don't think you uh have anything to worry about cosmetically but uh if you have if you have any sort of situation where you're like oh yeah uh i'm just you know every now and then i hit my teeth together then it's like yeah i watch out for that Every now and then I hit my teeth. That's what I thought of. Yeah. Turn around. <laughs> um, Orthodontist. <laughs> that works too. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. We've spent longer talking about Barb and Star and teeth uh, and <laughs> choking on an AirPod than we have talk to, uh, talking about technology. Teeth. Teeth. <laughs> um that's the best tweet um mm-hmm. i that's because there's not a whole lot of tech to talk about mm-hmm. uh what's the last tech you brought into your life uh it's not here yet and i don't know if it counts as technology uh, it does i know what you're gonna say and it does okay so i was i've been watching a lot of youtube videos about photography including uh 35 millimeter and medium format photography. And I was like, you know, I never really did any. Um, I had like one pinhole camera project in college that I didn't really like put a lot of effort into because I didn't really care about it. It was like, I'm going to do computer animation. That's what I'm here for. That's all I care about. And uh, it it probably should have paid more attention to that. Uh, And then I got into photography later when it was all DSLRs. um, And while you know, you kind of get a feel of uh, for things, and I have a mirrorless one now. Uh, it, same basic principles, though. You get a feel of uh, w- what's happening in terms of you know f-stop, uh, in terms of shutter speed. Um, you don't really get the mechanical sense of what you're doing. Uh, so sometimes you are just guessing, but you have the the fortunate ability to be able to look at the back of it and to also see the recorded information of what it was you shot. Uh, but the controls for doing things manually just are not as um, accessible because you know it's all like dials and stuff they used to have for that and uh i was like you know i should i should try to just learn um how to do things uh not because not because i feel like i'm bad at taking photos uh with a mirrorless camera or that i feel like i'm not getting what i want to out of that experience or anything along those lines or that i would like to transition away from it and certainly none of this baloney about the quality of film um that as i have mentioned many times i feel like the distinction that people try to put out there about how film has certain warmth or whatever is is all nonsense all that analog ludite nonsense um i don't buy into but i but i do (laughs) want to be able to understand and get out of uh, a camera uh what i would like to on a on a on a more manual basis where maybe i can know what it is uh that i that i want to get uh more more easily uh and so i did I just uh bought a uh used uh minolta camera um i i you know hemmed and hawed about various things but uh because what i would have gone with is a is a nikon a, a nikon 
but I didn't want to pay the premium price for that. And Minolta is cheaper because Minolta as a brand was acquired by Sony a long time ago and it's sort of an evolutionary dead end for their stuff, especially their manual cameras. Um, so it's less expensive. So I'm going to do that. That way, if it's a mistake, it's a less expensive mistake. And I feel like that's an important <laughs> thing to take into consideration. It does have things like a light meter and uh, program mode and uh, aperture priority shooting. So it's not a completely, completely manual camera, uh, but it, it does have uh, the manual controls. So I can kind of go back and forth and look at what's happening um, in terms of what I would like and what is sort of recommended by what's happening. Um, and uh, I just want to get a, a sense of all that stuff. Uh, I am uh, pretty annoyed at the process of uh, purchasing film um, online to have it shipped to my house uh, because it turns out that buying film and developing it is maybe going to be more expensive than the camera itself um, at the end of the day. But uh, it, it is, you know, a fun project, if nothing else, uh, because I get to sort of experiment with something that I didn't really participate in at all uh, prior to this. Um, if I, if I had more experience with film photography prior to this, probably I wouldn't have bothered, uh, with purchasing it at all. But, uh, but, uh, you know, this way I can just like check it off as a box, you know, especially if you go in to talk to somebody and, and, and they're like, yeah, I shoot this and blah, 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 blah. And now I can be like, well, I, I don't just theoretically know that it's this, this is baloney. I can also say that this is baloney because I, I have experience now. Um, so it's just a, it's a thing. It's a thing. I don't know. Uh, it, it's probably, like I said, going to be, uh, uh, paperweight. Um, but, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's my paperweight and exactly. I, can always, I can always sell my paperweight, uh, back to someone, um, which is the, the great cycle, uh, that all of these old, old film cameras go on. The cycle of life the circle of used cameras uh and <laughs> and it moves us all mm -hmm. yeah uh have you ever done any film photography like with no the, the, yeah no i, I mean oh no i take that back um the, actually this is kind of a heartbreaking story so years ago by years ago i mean years ago the twin towers were still up um my great grandpa gave me a film camera and i really wish i could remember what it was because that's important for this, or that's potentially important. All I know, it was old enough to have those, um, to need like a flash cube where you put it into the top and it's got four flashes that are one use. Mm -hmm. And so you, when you take the photo, it and it breaks the the flash and then it you can turn it and then it has another one and you can do it up to four times. And so he had four flash cubes. I was able to get some 35 millimeter film for it. And, um, I took this camera with me to New York City uh, when I was young enough. I, again, this is when the Twin Towers were still up, so before 2001. Um, and we went to Baltimore. We went to New York City. We went to all sorts of places along the coast there. And um, I took photos of the Twin Towers, took photos of uh, the Statue of Liberty, all sorts of different things, Washington Monument. <laughs> and we get back. I'm about to be dropped off at um, my mom's house. And I go to get out of the car. And my sister adjusts to let me out. And uh, in adjusting to let me out, she bumps into my arm, which causes me to drop the camera onto the street which causes the case to pop open, which causes the film inside to be exposed to the sun, which causes uh, several of the photos to be because um, I hadn't, you know, rolled it all the way closed into the film roll yet. Which So it caused several of the photos to be completely ruined by light leak. Um, so, yeah, I lost some of my photos, uh, but I was able to get the rest of them processed, but it also broke the camera. Hmm. <laughs> That's that's sad. It's really sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Very sad. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, and then you never took a photo again. And I never, yes, from that day, uh, it became my rule to never take a film photo ever again. Now, the most I've ever done, of course, since then is, uh, what are they called? Um, Disposable cameras. Yeah, see, that was primarily my experience with that, because my mom had... um, I don't know what version of the Kodak uh, Instamatic, whatever it was, but it was one of those, uh, you may have seen those long black bricks that are these rectangular prisms that are not very thick, um, but they're just kind of weirdly long. And it has those flash cubes that you put in the top. I think it was like an eight pack of those um, flashes that uh, burn out after you shoot them. Uh, And she would put in uh, this little, cartridge um called 110 film which is even smaller than 35 millimeter um and that uh would be the family photos that she would be taking with that uh so there was no like slr or any of that stuff going on and she wouldn't take photos very often and she would also get them developed very seldom um so photography was not big in the household which what she really wanted always wanted was like the professional family portraits and stuff um, it was like her dream was to always just have us go to a, like a photo studio at like Sears or JCPenney's or whatever. And you, you stand in front of that, like blue modeled backdrop yep. thing. Um, like that, that was, that was a hundred percent, uh, what she, what she liked out of photos. Um, which is, you know, not that interesting to most people, but, uh, it, you know, it had its appeal, I guess, in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, and my stepfather, he's the one who's actually into photography, uh, and, but he likes his wildlife photography. And so he would take photos of things and he was still using black and white film for, for taking some artsy stuff. Um, but it was, you know, not that, not that interesting to most people, but uh, it was interesting to see what he would do with it. Um, but he, he was still doing that uh, back when you could get that developed easily. Uh, and then he made the the switch to digital and was all uh, Nikon all the time. Um, but I don't remember uh what film camera he had and i would i should probably ask him about that um but uh you know he's he's uh he was doing like film stuff probably until i think at the very early 2000s still and then then it was just all digital after that and he has files and files and files of photos of uh ospreys sitting on top of telephone poles uh and squirrels um tons tons of them um because he would just kind of like go out and hang out for it for hours and just take photos um but i I think that's one of the reasons why he liked digital uh it was just that he could take a gajillion uh photos of the osprey sitting on top of the telephone i have trouble the problem with that is i don't have the patience i think Mm -hmm. um to go i i would have the patience to hit that button sure but what i don't have the patience for is going in and culling afterward and so i just end up with a crap ton of photos that i don't care about (laughs) any (laughs) of them i it's like well i I did that thing but i don't feel like sorting through these so i guess that's that i've had that situation before where i'm just like oh wow why did i take so many photos of the same exact thing because in the moment i'm like oh yeah i you know this might be the right thing this might be the right thing and then inevitably i just end up picking the first or second one (laughs) if i even choose any of them because i'm just like ugh, i don't want to go through and figure out which one's the right one and part of that is my own kind of um uh what's the word Uh, like self-confidence issues about i can't think of the word that i'm actually looking for but feeling like I don't know what makes a good photo for sure. And so it, it's, it kind of causes me stress to look through 12 of them and try to decide which one's the best one because I don't know which one is the best one objectively. So uh, only subjectively. And then I end up doubting myself like, well, maybe there was one that was better, but I don't know. Is the framing right? Is the color right? So as you can tell, it just becomes this big brain mash of of bad. So it's I ugh, I can't look through a bunch of photos like that. So I suppose that's also the beauty of film photography is um, in most cases, you're probably not taking a bunch of photos. You just kind of go with one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't take that many alternative takes of things, um, which I have been criticized for because Jason will stand in front of something and be like, take a photo of me. And I'll be like, click. Okay, there you go. And he's like, no, you have to take more than one because uh, what, what if all this other stuff is happening? I'm like, oh, fine. And so then I take like 
six or eight shots of him just standing there uh, in, in like portrait and landscape and then closer and further away, zoomed in, zoomed out, uh, more, more out of focus and more in focus, uh, whatever. And so I, I do all that and then I send it to him and he's just like, these are all terrible except maybe this one. And it'll be like, all right. <laughs> Well, you, you're in charge of culling through all of that. He's like, why did you send all these to me? And it's like, because I, uh, I don't know what you want. You pick. Right. <laughs> you were the one that asked for 95,000 photos, so you get to choose. Yeah. I, I, when it comes to me taking photos, I'm, I'm a little more selective. I might take a few um, at, at, uh, with, like, different, uh, different, just about the framing I might change, um, but I, I'm not like trying to like, or if I'm trying to like catch a specific thing, like if there's a bird flying by and I want, I want the bird to be in the middle of the frame here. And uh, I might take a couple because I won't be able to catch it exactly. Um, uh, but then, you know, afterwards, uh, who cares? Cause you might like the one where it wasn't centered and you just crop the whole thing anyways. Who cares? No one's going to know just you. Uh, no one's right. going to know if you cropped. <laughs> <laughs> No one will know if you cropped. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, all those things where they, they like, uh, uh, I know Google Photos does it, and um, I thought they added something to Lightroom, but I don't remember. But it, it, there's basically a, a way where it's like, I, I I will filter your photos and show you the ones that we programmatically think are the best out of these. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't have to do the photo sorting yourself. However, I have found that when using automated tools like that, that I don't agree uh, sometimes with the choices that it makes. Uh, so I don't really use them very much uh, because I might be like, you know, you picked this one because of like whatever contrast ratio or whatever, but I like the the interesting subject that's going on here. I like the, the where the focus is on this one better. Um, and so I don't rely on those tools myself, but I know that they exist because people, many people have the same sort of frustration that you do where it's just like, I, I took a bunch of photos and I don't know which one of these I want to like send to people. Um, without having to like cull through everything and um, like in terms of correcting or uh, adjusting levels or something like you don't want to do that to all of them right yeah but uh, you know that's why it can take it takes some time to sort through things but I, I actually find it kind of uh, meditative um, to to go through stuff in Lightroom afterwards uh, and and reflect on uh, how stuff came out and what slight differences there are between things a problem I can sometimes have is I'll be like, well, I like the portrait mode version of this and I like the landscape mode. I'm not, sorry, not portrait mode, uh, the portrait orientation of this. And I like the, the landscape orientation of this. And it'll be like, well, you can't post both of them to the internet. Cause then everyone will be like, who are you? Mr. Two photos guy. Uh, <laughs> just, just, you just pick one. Nobody wants to be Mr. Two photos guy. It's no. true. <sighs> There's one thing I've learned in my 20 something years of life. It is that nobody wants to be Mr. Two Photos guy, except for the Instagram influencer who doesn't give a crap about how you feel. <laughs> which which is better, this one or this one? Um, yeah. Uh, why not both? Says the taco gal. <laughs> I love that commercial. Um, but yes. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. <laughs> um. What were we? What? What, was what were the, we talking about? That was of was interest to anyone. <laughs> What was the lead into that? That was technology. Oh, new tech, asked, new yeah. tech you added to your life, yeah. Yeah, and have you? I mean, have you edited any new tech? Because I, I know that you guys aren't like in the office playing with stuff that uh, has been acquired on all the various shows at Twit uh, to 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 sample the world of computing. Um, but I don't know if you have had anything like. Has there been like a? I got a label maker. Oh, oh, that's that's cool. I love I so I've I think since I was a little kid I've always wanted a label maker. And for some reason, it's one of those things that, you know, pops up into your mind throughout the years like, oh man, it'd be really nice to have a label maker right now. Um and oh, I'm the per- kind of person who's always wanted a label maker. Um and it would be cool to have a label maker for this and I just have, you know, uh, there've been other purchases that needed to be made. And I wanted to do research to make sure I found the right one and uh, all that stuff that goes into it. And so the other day, I can't remember, I was working on something that, again, the label maker thing came up and it was like, Micah, you're gainfully employed. 
and you have a little extra money, why don't you go do that search for a label maker and become the success you've always wanted to be? And so I did do that thing and I got a label maker and I'm very happy about it. And I maybe have labeled things that didn't need to be labeled just because <laughs> I have a label maker. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to have a label maker if that's your kind of thing. Um, but I, that, that was not tech that I got for work. I would say, um, excuse me. I did get a cool new product, um, from CalDigit. So CalDigit makes the CalDigit Thunderbolt station three plus or something like that. TS three plus is what I, uh, call it. Cause that's kind of what they call it. And um, they recently announced a Thunderbolt 4 USB 4 hub that has three Thunderbolt 4 ports on the front or back, depending on how you have it oriented. And uh, I think four, yeah, four USB A 3.2 Gen 2. (laughs) So stupid. Um, But it's 10 gigabytes per second uh, transfer. Um, Four of those ports three 40 gigabyte per second transfer Thunderbolt 4 ports, and then a Thunderbolt 4 upstream port uh, with 60 watts of charging. Um, so all of these, uh, or, or this is their new Thunderbolt 4 USB 4 element hub, and uh, CalDigit actually sent it to me to give it a test and see what I thought of it. Um, and I don't have a Thunderbolt 4 device, right? I don't have a a Mac that supports Thunderbolt 4, but what I do have is the CalDigit TS3 Plus. And with that, you can actually daisy chain this uh, Thunderbolt 4 element hub to the CalDigit TS3 Plus and treat those ports not as Thunderbolt 4 ports, but as Thunderbolt 3 ports. So essentially, it expands upon the 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 TS3 plus in such a huge way with so many extra USB ports and USB C USB A and USB C ports uh that you can use to plug stuff in. So it's just kind of like next level awesome um for connecting stuff to my Mac. Um it also can charge a bunch of different devices. That was kind of what drew me to it more than anything. Not having a uh TB4 device, what I was more concerned with was or what I was more amazed with was the ability to charge a bunch of different things at once. So if you've got, you know, an iPad or two in your family, so two iPads, two iPhones, Apple watches, you know, you can fill those ports with those devices um, and, and be able to charge them all just using the one uh, dock. So I, if I'm, I, or excuse me, hub. So I think this thing's super cool. Um, it is made just as well as the TS3 Plus in terms of the actual build quality. Um, and yeah, I'm excited about it. I think it's I think it's pretty neat. I mean, you, you love your CalDigit. And now you have a, another CalDigit that you love very much too. And they can both work together in unison, uh, which is an accomplishment. Uh, I, I, I don't think I can do that with my... Uh, uh my anchor i don't think it has but oh that's right i forgot you got the anchor because of the hdmi yeah oh d- but uh your thunderbolt 4 one does that one have hdmi or does that one have display port uh the the, the new CalDigit thing is that what you mean or do yeah. you mean my uh, i mean your no new one. it's it's not there are no um it, it's only you so it's it's not uh it's not like the TS3 Plus, where it's meant to replace a bunch of different ports and it's got, you know, SD cards and stuff like that. This is just a, a hub that has USB-C and Thunderbolt ports. So that's literally all there is on it. Oh, it's okay. three Thunderbolts on the front and four USB-Cs, or excuse me, USB-As on the back. Mm-hmm. Party in the front, business in the back. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's, I mean, that's a good but, set of things. But you can use those because... Uh, many of the modern um, displays use either USB-C or Thunderbolt as the display connecting technology. And so you can plug in, it says, um, let's see, where is it? It's, oh, 
uh, dual 4K 60 hertz monitors or an 8K display, which, wow, an 8K display. Is that really a thing that people are doing these days? Not very much, but I imagine it's the kind of thing where you'd, you'd, you'd want to have it for uh, for future proofing someday down the line when, you know, I don't know, 10 years from now, for some reason, you're still using this <laughs> hub and then you have one of those monitors. Uh the 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 k's the k's are more expensive than you think um so i don't think 8k is going to happen as fast as maybe some people might think but uh people people like their more than 4k's people like their 5k's and their 6k's um so i it's, i guess it's good to have the coverage up to that level i would assume that it can do things between 4 and 8 uh that it's not just like i i crap out after 4 until you hit 8 um, but, uh, I, I wonder what their specs are on that because I can't, I can imagine they don't drive two, uh, 5k monitors, uh, at the same time, but you know, who knows the spec sheets on these are very interesting to read because it's yes. a total matrix of possible connections that you can do. Um, which is always fun to sort of figure out, uh, between the products that you have and the products that you want to buy and the, what the, what this thing does in terms of connecting those things. It's a, it's an adventure that you can have. It is a fun adventure for nerds yes. to nerd out on. But you didn't tell me uh, before we get before we uh, close out uh, for this this episode. You didn't tell me what the name of the label maker is. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That is my. Let's see. Let me go to Amazon so I say the right and proper name. It's the, the uh, given name. holy. Yeah, it's given Christian name. It's given it SEO Christian name. <laughs> it is the, and I think it's pronounced Dymo. Maybe it's Demo. What would you say? Dymo? I say Dymo. Um, the so Dymo... I, I don't have the words in front of me, so I don't know. <laughs> Dymo... I feel like Dymo is a household name. Maybe it's not. Um, anyway, okay. the Dymo LM210D desktop kit case. Um, so the reason why it's called the desktop kit case is because, fellow nerds, it comes in its own carrying case uh, with like foam inserts with cutouts for all of the different parts. <laughs> So the uh, Dymo 1738976 goes into the main compartment. It comes with two tapes, uh, which are black text on white uh, tape and then black text on yellow tape. And then it comes with both batteries, six. It takes six AA batteries if you want to use it um, uh, in movement but it also can be plugged in. And, and so it comes with a uh, an AC adapter that you can plug into it. So you can use it kind of on your desk or on the go, depending on where you're labeling and what you're labeling. Um, yeah, so, when you go on your labeling walks. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> your way, labeling walks around your house where you're like, this is a door. Uh, this is the cold water. This is the hot water. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that it's actually out of stock right now. It appears because oh. uh, you know i I moved the moved the marker on it, and everybody said, "Oh God, we've all got to have label makers now." Um, Does it have it, any sort of computer connection or anything, or do you just use the keyboard on it in order to do stuff? So yeah, so there are some that do. Mine does not. Um, I was kind of reading about what computer connection would provide, and it wasn't enough to really warrant spending the extra. $30 or more because uh, this was $45 for the the whole case with the the tapes too. And that was the other thing is that m- many of them that you buy, they come with a very small roll but of, of, of the tape. But I wanted to be able to start making labels right away and I would have had to wait because the label tape would have taken longer to ship. And as an impatient person, um, I wanted to find one that kind of came with some some tapes in it. And then this one, like I said, it had the case, and so it all kind of made sense. Um, this one, it does different uh, sizes of text. It does um, different borders around the text if you want them. Um, it can store labels. So if you... Uh, if you end up, you know, using the same labels over and over again, it can store them. You can print up to ten copies of a label. Uh, it's six font sizes, seven styles, and uh, eight different borders that you can use, including one that I think is like a it's it's either a whale or it's a, a mermaid. I can't quite tell. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the borders, which I don't know, like what very particular situation is is 
that programmed in there for? Do aquarium makers use these really quite often or something? I don't know. I don't know why that was one of the choices. I have, uh, I'm just going to throw this out there. Maybe it's someone who is who is labeling the stuff in their gearbox, their tackle box uh, for fishing. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. But that's just a I, guess. I like that more than... Again, random aquarium haver who's I, it just didn't make sense to me. I mean, and plus it's poorly, de- it's like ASCII, so it doesn't mm-hmm. look very good anyway. Yeah, maybe um, somebody just really wants to, you know, there are those people who really like fish people uh, out there in the world. So, ah, like horse girls, yes, but for fish. Mm-hmm. I was also going to say uh, mer merfolk, uh, people who are into the the merfolk, but uh, but yes, under the sea, uh, under the sea. <laughs> But uh, your label maker sounds fun. I'm glad that you uh, you're having some fun with it, and uh, you you've labeled excessively, uh, which is always the important thing to do with a label maker. I've labeled excessively, but I haven't gone as far as Matthew Casanelli because I I showed off my label maker on Smart Tech today uh, because I was talking about how it actually one of the reasons that I truly got this other than. You know, like I said, it, it was just this thing that I've always wanted to have. But one of the big things was actually that um, when you have a smart home and you live with a partner, um, it can sometimes be a situation where you know all of the ins and outs of your smart home, but your partner doesn't necessarily. And, you know, going through everything once is not enough to to kind of get that drilled in and it is a little bit more like it's unfair to make a partner have to go through all of the steps and figure out everything just because you know how it's set up and so there are i've got some like actual physical switches in the house that can turn on and off lights um and so in my living room for example there's this four button switch and the top one uh turns on all of the lights in the living room at their full brightness. Uh, the bottom one turns off all of the lights in the living room. And then there are two buttons in the middle. Uh, the one closest to the top will turn on some of the lights at like 70% brightness. And then the one below that one will turn on some of the lights at like 30% brightness. So it's kind of like brightest it, it, from the from the bottom is off and then dimmer and then dim, and then bright. Um, But that's not, you know, immediately apparent. And so I wanted to get the label maker to kind of help with those buttons. So it can say all lights on, and then some lights, comma, bright, some lights, comma, dim, and then all lights off. Um, So that's been helpful. And then also there was a, there are a few items that I have that cannot be put in a dishwasher so you can label those you know do not um well it just says no dishwasher on it and then uh the other day i had to because about once once a year i have to replace the first three stages on my reverse osmosis system um and so i had to replace those three first three filter stages and in years past, I would just take photos of everything for the the little tubes that go into all the different parts of the RO system. Um, and then I would remember where they needed to go back in. Um, but this time I was able to label them all. So there's like to the, uh, to the faucet, uh, from the cold water inlet to the, uh, stage four to the RO membrane, all those kinds of things. I was able to label all those tubes. And so it made it very easy whenever I replaced those, uh, stage one through stage three and kind of put it all back together. So that was really fun actually, because normally that's not a, a very fun process of, taking it apart and then making sure that the water's drained out and then cleaning the the housings for the stage uh, one through three and applying new lubrication to the um, to the o-rings and uh, I know we're getting a little blue here um, and doing all of that it takes a long time and it's it's unwieldy too because you have to use this special wrench to undo the housings because they're really tight on there so that water doesn't leak mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, that was actually a more pleasant process this time, putting it back together because I knew right where the things needed to go and I didn't have to go find the manual again and remember what uh, color tube led to where. 
I'm glad uh, all your tubes are connected the way they should be and your O-rings lubricated and everything's uh, good to go. It's all good to go. And now the water is clean and fresh and uh, beautiful once again. Mm -hmm. And uh, on that note, that joyous note of uh, labeled uh, water uh, being filtered correctly, uh, we we will close out uh, for this wonderful episode that we have had (laughs) where we talked about stuff. About stuff and things. Mm Mm-hmm. Ah, goodbye, Micah. Goodbye, Joe. Soul douche. His feet, watch me climb in. I'm going up a palm tree like a cat up a palm tree who's decided to go up a palm tree.